now. Do I have your full attention? Screw you. Hello to Yogi. Hello to Boo Boo. Hello to Scooby Doo. Barney and Bradley. Don't forget your goat leggings. Well, par me all over the place. the money and how did you get the woman? What is it? There's always magic at the movies. What's in the basket? The story is this so horrible. I truly was shocked to, to find this out. Um I was talking to my girlfriend today and out of nowhere, she's like, you know what? I just remembered when I was in middle school, we had a tradition like an annual holiday as it were, where every year we would create a Facebook event called kick. And then this kid's name here in the balls day. And then it would happen. And it went on for three years and the teachers knew about it and they never intervened. Hundreds of kids were coming to school, kicking this guy in the balls, and the teachers just stood there and watched. And that... Why? She said he was an asshole, so nobody cared. I mean, I don't know how much of an asshole you can be as, like, an 11-year-old that the teachers are willing to watch you get, like, literally hundreds of blows to the testicles. But also, like, if you know that's the day, why go to school? That's what I was kind of wondering, too. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, she she said he was an asshole, so maybe he deserved it. Again, I wasn't there, but um, that to me like sums up everything you need to know about like the Los Angeles Unified School District and why people are the way they are in this city. Because I just I feel like at a certain point that's going to cause some pretty permanent damage. Yeah, like even one. I know. I'm like, where is he now? And she said she didn't know. And I'm like, yeah. none of you were curious enough. It's fine. Anyway, I thought that was an amazing story because I, I cannot imagine anything like that happening where I grew up. That is so far beyond the pale. But I just love the idea that it's an annual event. And then A, like you said, he shows up to school on that day. And B, the teachers know it's coming and they don't do anything about it. The principal's just like, maybe it's his favorite day of the year, too. That would make the news where I'm yeah. from. And there would be like nationwide, like everyone would be so horrified. That's insane. Yeah. So that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Name redacted for privacy, but I wonder what he's up to now. My guess is he's probably in at least minimum security prison. Well, I can tell you he doesn't have any children. (laughs) Well, maybe that's for the best. The world's pretty overpopulated as it is. You know, one thing we have to address is the elephant in the room here that I'm sure has been weighing on your mind as much as it's been weighing on mine, which is the fact that there are people on this earth younger than us substantially younger than you guys in your case um thank you yeah thanks who are the biological offspring of tony randall yeah i i forgot about that for a minute i think i had like you know the blessing of not thinking about that but thank you uh it's back i've been thinking about it nonstop. so yeah tony randall married like a 25 year old in the early 90s and had a couple of kids and they're just out there being alive and then he then he just popped off he was like well see it was like right (laughs) after his like wife whom he married in like 1938 or whatever died 
and then he just immediately hooked up with someone my age. That to me is just like, that sounds very Tony Randall to me. Also, what kind of woman is attracted to Tony Randall when he, I mean, at all, let's be honest here, but especially in like the age of like, what was he, like 77, 78 when these children were born? How much money do you think Tony Randall had? Like, would that have made it worth it? I mean, he had that, he had that TV money because of shit like The Odd Couple. So maybe... But, I mean, he certainly didn't have, like, Larry King money. Like, I understand why Larry King has those twins who are, like, 22 years old or whatever, because he's got Larry King money. Or Hugh Hefner's kids or something. But Tony Randall definitely does not have that kind of money. And he's Tony Randall. Imagine having a father who's got married during, like, the second FDR administration. <laughs> <laughs> like, think about that. Before World War II happened... Germany had <laughs> none of the stuff that happened yet. Yeah, no invasion of Poland. Uh, I don't know when the Hindenburg happened. When was the Hindenburg? Siri, when did the Hindenburg happen? Here's what I found That's... from wikipedia.org. No. The May... Hindenburg disaster occurred on May 6th, 1937 in Manchester Township, New Jersey, United States. Thank you, Siri. So, Tony Curtis, Tony, Tony Curtis, uh, <laughs> Tony Curtis, that more sense. Tony Randall's first marriage and is the Hindenburg disaster are roughly contemporaneous. I'm one of those people who has very young parents, but my grandparents weren't alive in 1938. So that's a lot, a lot to think about for me. I mean, if you're Tony Randall's child, please feel free to come on the pod. Tell us all about your experience. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> also, this girl was one of his interns. She was a 25 year old intern. Why does Tony Randall need an intern in the early nineties? An intern in one of his theatrical programs. Oh, okay. They lived in Manhattan together. Like, no, I'm, you know, apologies to this woman. So fucked up. I can't stop thinking about this. Like, Anthony Quinn, you know, had kids late, but also, like, he's Anthony Quinn. This is, like, up there with, like, Chaplin fathering a child at 80 or whatever. Well, I mean, it's more believable for Chaplin because he, like, preyed on young women anyway. That's true. His first significant big screen role, Oh Men, Oh Women, 1957. To think that, this is, I, I, I just can't stop thinking about this. I... I can't stop thinking about how if Inherit the Wind didn't exist, we wouldn't have Tony Randall. <laughs> Was it worth it in the end? <laughs> Was it worth it? To have, you know what was one thing I would always, I would really like, um, you know, people always talk about like getting props recreated and stuff. Like there are a couple props that like I would love, like I would love the portrait of Laura. I would love the, uh, you know, Beach clothes by order of Amity PD sign, but I um the one of the little um one of the little paper fans that has the name of the funeral home from Inherit the Wind, you know the little, <laughs> little funeral home fan. Well, Tiff, what piece of movie prop would you like recreated to own? Uh, the farting Belial puppet. <laughs> right into it, huh? That's what you call a good transition. Now we're going to pick up where we left off last time, talking about your. Separation from Dwayne. I know. We've discussed this many times, but today, I want you to really confront your feelings. Really confront your anger. I understand. For you, it was more than losing a brother. You also lost a piece of yourself. You don't feel like a whole person. You miss him and need him and yet hate him at the same time. (laughs) 
I understand that sadness. I understand your pain. But ripping the faces off people may not be in your best interest. Hello, everybody. Welcome to What's in the Basket podcast. I am Amelia, and as always, I'm joined by my hosts, Tiff. Hi. And Candace. Hello. And it's been a year since we started this podcast. Wow. And we have so much to show for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to my grandma, and she was like, well, good luck with your with your career. And I was like, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Doing good. Okay. Just to clarify, we are hashtag not sponsored on this program, and we probably never will be, because we probably. say really terrible, terrible things. I mean, we could start a, a Patreon one day, but that would have to be like a day where we could actually produce extra content and we can't even keep up with the free content currently. So We have been trying. There have just been many extenuating circumstances. That I think the problem with this, made it. this whole mentality that's like, oh, you should be productive in quarantine is like, yeah, like if you live alone, for example, if now everyone you live with is at home at the same time, things become very yeah. difficult. <laughs> well, and also just this, this concept that you have to be productive at a time where it is i mean there's a fucking global pandemic i i don't know about you guys but it's very hard to feel motivated to do anything uh when that fact is so deeply overwhelming uh people are dying but um that's just me uh do you think what do you how do you think frank hennenlauder is doing right now wow that's i would a good be amazed question. if he doesn't have corona <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming he still lives in New York City, and I think everyone in New York City got coronavirus. Pretty sure that's how that works. Well, let us know, Frank. Um, but yeah, today we're going to be celebrating our one-year anniversary of this podcast by uh, harking back to the first episode that we ever recorded, which, I mean, you probably shouldn't have listened to, uh, by covering Basket Case 2. I mean, everyone, I'm sure, is really clamoring for this one because... Uh... No one has ever acknowledged it. Um, a lot of people have listened to it based on our metrics, which gave me a lot of anxiety for a time. <laughs> but, <laughs> I would say it's not our biggest hit, and for that reason, this episode is basically entirely for us. It's a labor of love. Just like when Belial was born. I mean, we covered the basket case first to give context to the name of this podcast. Yeah. Which, I mean... It's not the best name for a podcast. We did kind of hamstring ourselves in retrospect, but... That's why you love us, though. So... The thing about that episode is I have... I haven't listened to it recently because I'd, I'd rather die. But I've heard it a couple <laughs> times. Uh, the editing's very bad. Not that it's very good now, but it's it's pretty rough. I don't think it's a bad episode. It's just um extremely tasteless. So... When, for example, my family found out I had a podcast and everyone listened to that one first, I wanted to commit myself to some kind of institution and never be seen again. Um, this was definitely my fault. I remember this because we had Pillow <laughs> Talk ready to go. And I thought, like, why don't we explain the name first? You know, and I made Tiff go first. And I think had Pillow Talk been first, we might have a quip sponsorship by now. So... We should kind of structure this episode a bit like Basket Case 2 itself is structured, where there's, like, gratuitous uh, gratuitous uh, flashbacks, throwbacks, you know? Uh, <laughs> a little bit of Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 kind of going on. Because throughout this movie... Yeah, but the differences between this and Silent Night, Deadly Night uh, is the fact that this film came out, like, 
fucking ten years after the, <laughs> after the first one. So you kind of need the flashbacks to be like, oh yeah, that's what are you happened. implying that the little brother from Silent Night, Deadly Night, who is like what like seven years old, couldn't possibly be like I don't know a nineteen year old man within the span of the time between two Star Wars sequels. <laughs> Yes, maybe I am. Well, speaking of sequels that aren't good, Basket Case 2 is one of them. Basket Case 2 is the... Basket Case 2 is the last Jedi. Also the lost Jedi. (laughs) Where is he? Where's Luke? (laughs) He got off at the wrong bus stop, and he doesn't know when it's coming next, because the timetable on this brochure is just not matching. Oh, but isn't this the 22? Yeah, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Tuesday, Thursday is the 22A. 22A? Then where the heck am I? Don't make me tap the sign. But I'm lost and I need to know where... Last stop. End of the line. (sighs) I should have got off and cracked and... No, The Last Jedi, Basket Case 2, similar energy. By which I mean incompetent in a loving way. But also in a very malevolent way. Yeah, I uh, researched Basket Case 1 pretty thoroughly for that that episode. I don't know a goddamn thing about how Basket Case 2 came into being. But like like Amelia said, though, there's almost a decade between these two movies. Like, there's eight years. And the nun in Lauder was like, you know what I should do? Well, I do have some facts surrounding that. Oh, really? Um Frank Lauder made this back-to-back with um, his obviously much-lauded Frankenhooker. And he, before before this, like, in the interim, he was adamant that there would not be a sequel, sequel to Basket Case because he was, he was like, everybody knew what was in the basket. <laughs> and boy, did we. <laughs> um, and so he was like, you know, all of the Doctors had been killed and Dwayne and Belial were dead. So he's like, there's no room for a sequel. This movie's genesis came when Frank Henenlotter was trying to sell a script for a movie called Insect City. He showed it to his friend, James Glickenhaus, who liked the script but knew it wouldn't sell, and asked what other ideas Henenlotter had. Eager to work with Glickenhaus, Henenlotter made up a plot to Frankenhooker on the spot. When Glickenhaus asked what else he had, Henenlotter replied, well, there's always the sequel to Basket Case. (laughs) So, I mean... That is very on brand. Just being like, well, what else you got? (laughs) It's like, well, I guess we can just do a sequel to a film I said I'd never do a sequel to. So, I mean, that explains a lot about the movie and why it's so distinctly different from the first one Mm -hmm. um, in almost every way. And also, I would say why the script kind of feels like, it feels like there are excessive cuts, like huge scenes are cut all over the movie, but I don't think that's what happened. I think the script is just written that way. It was probably just Hen and Lorda being like, okay, what do we do now? Yeah. <laughs> what I think is an interesting choice about the opening of this movie is that it begins exactly with the end of the first film, not acknowledging that eight years has passed in the interim and everybody involved has aged quite significantly. I think this was very brave. It was a very brave choice. Um, in the At the end of the last one, Dwayne um, jumps out of the window with Belial and they're presumed to have died. However, we learn that they in fact survived and there's a news report of them being lifted into the ambulance and that, you know, everyone is made aware of this freak that is Belial. 
A bizarre and shocking tragedy here in Times Square last night. A young man either fell or was pushed from the third floor of the Broslin Hotel. But what makes this story particularly eerie is that he wasn't alone. According to eyewitnesses, accompanying him on his fall was what they called a small, grotesque monstrosity. Can I very quickly offer a potential explanation? Do we think it's possible that perhaps when Dwayne and Belial jumped out the window, they fell through some kind of time portal? Because not only has everyone aged eight years, but also there's a pretty palpable difference between Times Square in 1982 and 1990. And also everyone's dressed like it's 1990, and we just don't talk about this at all. Yeah, by 1990, it's very, like, baby's day out, like... Yeah, so I'm thinking (laughs) maybe we've got some time travel here in some capacity, perhaps. I feel like that's too cerebral for Han and Lauda to have thought, but we can certainly postulate that. (laughs) Well, you can Um... check out my fanfic at... (laughs) I'm trying to find out whether this was shot on video, because it really looks like it was shot on tape. And weirdly enough, the internet does not seem as interested as I do. I can give you another good fact. Um, Frank Henenlotta admits to being fueled by Jolt Cola during the filming of Frankenhooker and this film, to the point where Jolt Cola agreed to sponsor them. With there being publicity photos of the freaks drinking Jolt Cola and wearing Jolt Cola brand clothing. (laughs) (sighs) I wish we had a sponsorship with Jolt Cola. Maybe it was it was directly filmed onto Jolt Cola cans. <laughs> well, I, I feel like maybe the, the slightly um, frenetic pace of this movie, especially compared to the first Basket Case, which is still kind of a very classical, like, monster movie structure, is partially the fact that Frank Hahn and Lauder was addicted to Jolt Cola. And um, <laughs> I had noticed this because the news reporter character in her office, there's always, like, multiple cans of Jolt Cola like scattered across her desk. And I was like, oh, that's a little weird. But that would be why. Good for him. <laughs> Good for Mr. Mister Jolt Cola. Yeah, so they're taken to the hospital and they're saved. A-, a credible surgery is obviously performed. But then they escape by killing a cop and, I don't know, other people in the hospital. And flee into the night. All the while, uh, a reporter is trying to track them down, get into, you know, see the freaks. Which you know, would happen today. Then, as soon as they get out of the hospital, they run into two women with a truck who say, oh, you know, come with us, we'll help you. Dwayne immediately agrees to just get in this van, which goes against every single Stranger Danger directive um, that would have occurred between 1982 and 1990. Like, I feel like that was, like, the beginning of Stranger Danger, like, learning that. Also, as established in Basket Case the Elder, uh, Dwayne is extremely conscious of strangers and terrified of them. But there's also an implication that perhaps um, Belial is controlling Dwayne at this point, hence why so many people were killed in, during their escape. Uh, but I also think Belial's not really into strangers either. So I don't know what it is about about these two women that he finds that he can trust. But anyway, he gets in the van and these two women... Uh, turned out to be Granny Ruth, who is also known as Dr. Freak, and her granddaughter, Susan. This is what it says in the summary, that Granny Ruth is kind of Dwayne's aunt, seven times removed. I don't remember that in the movie. No, I think Granny Ruth just says that she knew their aunt. Yeah. And they used to, like, talk on the phone about Belial. (laughs) Imagine that chat. (laughs) He's getting bigger. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) Thanks. 
Anyway, so he gets in the van, he takes them to this mansion that's just filled with other freaks. This kind of costumery and makeup that they have on these freaks is very reminiscent of what I'd say, like, Beetlejuice, like all the yeah effects in in like Beetlejuice of all the you know monsters and things, where oh kind of like John Carpenter, like Big Trouble in Little China. In other words, they're gross, yeah, and I hate them. <laughs> uh, but there's like a whole like raft of really distorted representations of these freaks. Inverted commas there. Well, one of them should we mention now? One of them, the moon base guy is um david i don't know how to pronounce his last name mg uh who's steven in dawn of the dead the flyboy, the helicopter operator who's an idiot and an asshole and ends up getting eaten by zombies sorry if you haven't seen dawn of the dead before you should watch that you should watch that in <laughs> the basket case too yeah <laughs> um but yeah they introduced to all these freaks and then Belial, very special introduction is given to him. Uh, there's apparently a female version of Belial. I don't know, they're exactly the same. But she won't come out and they just call her Eve. And here's someone I hope you'll be able to help. Someone very much like you. We don't know her name. So we call her Eve. She's been with us now for a little more than a year seems so full of pain and despair that, well, we're all having a hard time reaching her. She seems to be so withdrawn into her own private world that she's been unable to share our happiness and bond. So perhaps, Belial, perhaps you might help her. Look after her. Let her know she has a friend. And obviously, there's some kind of love connection there. I mean, as close to love as Belial can get. I, I what? Hold on. Don't know if he's... Hold on. <laughs> what are you implying? <laughs> <laughs> that he's not capable of loving? Um, I think he's shown himself, spoiler it for Basket Case 3, to be prodigiously capable of loving. So... <laughs> I would argue that we do see him express some love for hamburgers. That's true. I'm and for necrophilia. <laughs> Did we explain at the beginning of the the episode what this movie's about? Like it's about a man and his conjoined twin. We have um, a main character named uh, Dwayne, who has been split from his conjoined twin Belial. And uh, in the first Basket Case movie, they are seeking vengeance for this betrayal. And in Basket Case 2, which is the movie we're discussing today, it's more about them trying to integrate into a family of other, um, how shall we say? Uh, the, the PC term they use in the film is unique individuals. Unique individuals, yeah. So they move into a house on Long Island with some unique individuals. and It's about self-love and acceptance. Yes, and also about sewing your conjoined twin back onto your own torso as an act of self-harm. Yeah, so there's like sort of a ramshackle found family feeling that Dr. Freak has brought together in this mansion, uh, which I should mention there's another cool, I don't know if it's a cool fact, but it, there's a fact about the mansion. Um, the mansion that acted as the Freak's home, because I was convinced when we were watching this that it was all a soundstage because it, it doesn't look great. 
but um, is it in fact a real place? Um, and the mansion that acted as the freak's home in the film was called the Tuesday Afternoon Club. A year after they filmed here, there was an incident where a handyman barricaded himself inside with the corpse of the woman he'd murdered. Oh my god. A news report covered the incident mentioned that the mansion was the setting of this film, inadvertently providing some publicity. So, that's messed up. Um, that's location shooting, baby. You're never going to get that on soundstage. <laughs> Getting that free press, I guess. It, it looks a little bit, because it's like also like these Long Island mansions, it looks a little bit like the house from the money pit. So, concept, they're like living in the basement, and Tom Hanks and Shelley Long are upstairs, and they have no idea that any of this is going on. <laughs> Can we talk about something really quick that's completely irrelevant to everything, basically, uh, about this movie? Do we think that the Andy Garcia rumor is true? For many years, I don't know if it still says this, Andy Garcia... His IMDb page said that he had, like, a parasitic conjoined twin attached to his shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I've never heard that before. Can you imagine a world in which Belial gets to visit the set of The Godfather Part 3, just like Andy Garcia's shoulder twin? That also means that he had to be in the room while Sofia Coppola was trying to act. That's not good. I mean, you got to take the good with the bad when you're Andy Garcia's conjoined parasitic twin. Let's see if that's still on IMDb. You know. Well, Us Weekly said in 2013 that it was reported that, you know, he was in fact born that way. It's still on his IMDb page. Was born as a conjoined twin. His twin was no bigger than a tennis ball and was surgically removed. All that remains is a scar on his shoulder. He also says that he refuses to do nude scenes. He once walked out of an audition when asked to remove his shirt. Do you think the two are connected? Maybe that explains Dana. Maybe he had a conjoined twin. His, his chest hole? That on his chest. chest hole? I wonder if this explains the little tennis ball-sized basket Andy Garcia carries around everywhere. <laughs> also, apparently they had to get a new basket for this movie. Yes, they did. The film's art department PA hunted high and low for Belial's new basket, eventually finding the right type, which he described as being ridiculously overpriced. Give me the numbers, buddy. I mean, anything on a Hen and Lauder production that costs more than a case of Jolt Cola is probably (laughs) (laughs) overpriced. So yeah, this sort of freak found family, I'm going to call it, getting together, having a good time. Uh, In the meantime, the journalist is told by an editor to, to, that they'll pay the big bucks to get the story to find out what happened to the um, New York Times Square freak twins, as it's so eloquently put in the headline of the paper. This is, this is how, like, she's sort of led to Dr. Freak. But then she also goes to visit this, this man who runs sort of a, a roadside freak show, uh, who's very excited about the prospect of earning $100.00. Which would be us if we ever got a sponsor. Okay, okay, listen, you're about 40 miles from Manhattan. I can be there in an hour. Well, I don't know. It's, it's getting kind of late now and the exhibit's closed. And... Look, I'll give you a hundred bucks if I can see him tonight. A hundred bucks, huh? Yeah. Okay, you got my address. Okay, I'll be expecting you. Damn! A hundred smackaroos! A hundred smackaroos! Whoa, boy! A hundred smackarinis! All right, all right, yeah. Um, he's paid a visit by Dr. Freak. I mean, the guy doesn't have any living freaks. 
It's more just sort of like fake stuff that's made to look, you know, freaky, kind of like how they sewed that monkey torso to that fish tail. Yeah, the P.T. Barnum stuff. Yeah, it, it kind of has that feeling. And Dr. Freak still is like, well, you're a terrible, terrible person. And then brings in Belial in the basket and sicks him. Can we acknowledge <laughs> That uh, his he's been claiming he's been passing out flyers claiming that he has the freak twin right he has Belial, and so he takes her to see Belial and it's a a skeleton which I thought was very relevant to our interest it's like a Belial shaped small little skeleton. <laughs> um, That's how I imagine Ronquil looks. Yeah, exactly. that was my first thought. In the meantime, Dwayne is sort of having a hard time adjusting. I think that's fair to say he's not loving living in this big sort of. Foster's home for imaginary friends, <laughs> you know, situation. And he is decidedly against the other unique individuals in the houses. But he feels attraction, obviously, to Susan, who's the granddaughter. Because, I mean, Hannah and Lauder clearly just believes in love to some extent. Susan also dresses a little bit like a fundamentalist Mormon. I was going to say, it's kind of like the virgin suicides, like that kind of aesthetic. She's wearing like a denim muumuu in one scene. Like it's a lot. And I understand that in 1990 that's what people looked like and people were still sexually attracted to them and that's how we were all born. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I also think we should address how um, Dwayne looks because I I mentioned this while we were watching it. It's kind of like he's Samson. He's considerably weaker (laughs) after his hair has been cut. Yeah. He's got the same haircut as, like, Jerry Seinfeld in 1990. <laughs> it's like... Because in the first one, he had a lot more presence. Now in this one, he's he's kind of retreated away. When they cut off his curls, um, Kevin Van Hengenrick was sapped of his twink powers. And now yeah. he just looks like a guy who sells home and auto insurance. But, like, he doesn't really sell it. He, he tries... <laughs> But he can't really close that deal. He gets fired halfway through, and you have to sit there awkwardly while he packs up his desk, and then he kind of <laughs> just remembers you're there. It's kind of like Gil from The Simpsons. Yes. Who, in turn, is Jack Lemon in Glengarry Glen Ross. Note that I didn't say Tony Randall in Glengarry Glen Ross, because he didn't. He, that's not him. He's not Jack Lemon, and he will never be <laughs> Jack Lemon. Congratulations, and welcome to the dynamic world of mobile pretzel retailing. When can I start? What's my territory? Yeah, territory. Well, well, let me tell you, wherever a young mother is ignorant of what to feed her baby, you'll be there. Wherever nacho penetration is less than total, you'll be there. Wherever a Bavarian is not quite full, you will be there. This is also <laughs> around the point where we see Dwayne's ass for, like, no reason. I guess Hen and Lauder just Yeah, like, I mean, you it. say ass, but there's nothing there. <laughs> It may as well just be like a surfboard. You suffer from a disease called diminished gluteal syndrome, or DGS. <gasps> I, I don't understand. What What does that mean? Mr. Hill, you have no ass. We, we all know that Belial has an ass that doesn't quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he definitely, Dwayne did, did not get that part of the family heritage. There was a thick ass like Polish grandma somewhere in their lineage and Belial got all of that. Belial is really impressively fleshy in a lot of places, not the least of which is his crotch. And again, please see basket case three. 
for confirmation. Well, we'll we'll cover that next year. Our second anniversary. Basket case three. Look forward to it. Hope you're still listening by then. Maybe we'll have a sponsor by then. Jolt Cola. Please drink Jolt Cola. Delicious Jolt Cola. Right before the fourth anniversary, that's when we quit because we've run out of basket cases to talk about. Assuming that Hen and Lauder doesn't come back for one more little little taste of that twink. In which case... Yeah, as we as we discussed at the end of the Basket Case 1 episode, they have made some threats in the past. <laughs> well, it's either that or we make our own. I mean, we're going to have Ronk Skeleton at some point, so... Mm. It's either that or a really disturbing and sad remake of Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> so, now, this is sort of where it gets hazy for me in terms of plot development. Because I just don't believe there is a lot from this point on. From this point on, we're told very quickly... That Dwayne is in love with Susan. Literally, Even though they've shared all of, like, ten words. Yeah, literally in the first scene they have together, he announces that he's in love with her and he wants her to run away with him. And she's like, no, I'm I'm like these freaks. I have to stay with the freaks. And He's uh, like, no, you're not. You're hot. You're sexy. <laughs> I'm sexy, too. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think it's around that point that Dwayne decides he has to have, like, a serious talk with Belial and takes him into the garage. And this is where Kevin Van Hentenrick, this is actually... The scene that proved to be really advantageous to his Oscar campaign. I want to start my life over, become a part of the rest of the world. I mean, it's not like I'm abandoning you. You found a home here, and it looks like you found someone you care about. What? Who? Susan, what about her? Yeah. Yeah, I think I do love her. And I think she loves me. You got a problem with that? Good. Because I want her with me. She's important to me. She's my hope. My key to a new life. If I can have her, I can walk away from the past. I could say goodbye to the old Dwayne Bradley and begin life anew. If I could have her by my side... You know, because again, we oh, another thing we should mention is that in this movie, Kevin Van Hattenrick, who plays Dwayne in the first movie, is Dwayne and Belial. We completely lost over that. Right, right. He's, he's doing dual roles, a bit like Lindsay Lohan in The Parent Trap. or Just like that. Just like that. Okay, but it would be really hard for Natasha Richardson and Dennis Quaid to split them up. <laughs> what if they just like <laughs> each grab like one arm? They kind of just pulled. And that was which Lindsay they got. Well, I, for one, would personally like to see Basket Case 4 being a sort of parent trap-esque romp. But perhaps it's like Eve and Belial split up and it's then their freak children that meet at summer camp. Well, there's going to have to be a montage set to that song that goes, We Are Young. And... <laughs> Of them, like, they're on, like, inner tubes, maybe, at, like, a water park. I'm trying to think of what else Hollywood thinks kids do. I'm imagining, like, the baby Belial's driving in a convertible at night with, like, a <laughs> cityscape in the background and, like, the wind's blowing in their... I guess they don't have hair, but, like... <laughs> okay. In their flesh, you know, they've got, like, flabby they bits. They pull over, they're on Mulholland, right? And they're overlooking, they're overlooking the all of L.A., that glittering famous shot used in every film in the 1980s right and they pull over on the Mulholland Overlook and they're and they're 
they aren't really standing because they can't really stand. <laughs> and then they all start doing a Fortnite dance. <laughs> well, I mean, if Hen and Lauder isn't going to make it happen, we're going to have to make it happen. Please go to at basketpod slash patreon.com to find <laughs> this movie venture. What's the title of Basket Case 4? <laughs> Basket Case 4. Hitting that. I don't know. What? <laughs> oh my god. Let me dab. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> this is so beautiful. I'm crying. <laughs> oh, I'm and then, and, and then um, they become TikTokers. And, um, I feel like if the, have if the basket case for Belial Juniors would kill, there would absolutely be a day at their middle school where everyone tried to kill Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Belial going to a PTA meeting. Oh, there's so many things. <laughs> Frank Henenlotter, please, please return my calls. <laughs> so if by the time the bar closes and you feel like falling down, I'll carry you home tonight. All right, I'm okay. <laughs> that might be the first movie that reopens after the theater. <laughs> I mean, it would be much better than seeing fucking Tenon or whatever. Christopher Nolan needs to be knocked off his high horse, preferably with like a polo mallet, because I'm just really tired of him. <laughs> Me Demanding too. what was like 65% of the gross for the movie theaters? Fuck off. Especially when they included that. that it also includes single screen theaters, which again are going to be like, you know, owned by some guy. Like, what a major fuck you to independent um, exhibitors. Tommy Wiseau would never do that. So, right, they're falling in love. Even though it really honestly seems a little one-sided, it's mostly just Dwayne falling in love and her being like, okay, I have to go brush out my hair some more. That that classic Kirstie Alley look that every woman had in 1990. Is the reporter dead yet? The the one Not reporter? Yet. Okay. No, uh, so so Dwayne, Dwayne takes Belial out into the garage. They have his the, the little chat... Uh, Dwayne tells him that he wants to leave. He thinks, you know, he needs to go off on his own, and Belial's happy here. He's got his sexy lump girlfriend. <laughs> and Belial, like, does this incredible laugh, like me thinking about baby Belial's <laughs> doing Fortnite dances. And then from there, fuck, what happens after that? I don't know. The laugh just is <laughs> such a centerpiece of the whole movie. It's like the chess scene in The Seventh Seal. I don't remember anything else that happens in the movie. Oh, 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 oh I remember. Uh, that's when the journalist shows up at the house to interview Granny Ruth. Right. <clears throat> and Granny Ruth's like, Granny Ruth's like, I'm retired. I haven't had anything to do with unique individuals in, like, decades. But then as the journalist is going to leave, Dwayne comes in with the basket and kind of, like, stops like a deer in headlights. He's like, oh, fuck. And uh, they try to pass him off as, like, the grocery delivery boy. But the journalist is like, well, that's Delilah. Jesus. Delilah. Hey there, Delilah. What's it like in New York City? the basket. Um, But yeah, the the journalist is like, well, that's obviously the the freak twins. So then Granny Ruth is, 
she kind of rallies the troops and is like ready to declare war on this one woman while wearing like a cossack like what's up yeah <laughs> they go through like a secret elevator that goes down to the basement which i don't remember existing earlier in the movie but maybe it did and i just forgot about it like when she first introduces Dwayne to the uh the freaks i don't think they go down in an elevator but all of a sudden she's got a secret passageway in her house and she tells them she's like we gotta fight we can't flee and then they all do the whole like you know one of us one of us thing. which is yeah very i guess overt homage to freaks someone will undoubtedly try to sneak their way into our home so i say let them let us welcome them with open arms and let us give them a welcome they'll never forget. Kevin Van Henrik might actually be, I think, a bigger star than Olga Baklanova ever was. Yeah, can you imagine his face on the cover of Photoplay? God, I wish. But only with the hair. I can imagine his ass on the cover of Photoplay. Okay. <laughs> Not engaging um, with that any further. But yeah, now, all the while while this is happening, the the journalist has a photographer with her who is lurking through the mansion. And he, like, finds all of the freaks and starts taking photos of them. Uh, and they eventually hunt him down and kill him. And now there's this kind of, like, fervor. They're all ready to fight for their right you know, to party. And there's something about the private detective. Um, The journalist has, like, a private detective friend who gets Dwayne to come and, like, hang out with him at a bar. At this point, the other reporter is dead. The guy who looks exactly like Bronson Pinchot in True Romance. That's the The photographer. photographer. He's dead. Yeah, that I just said. Right, well, like, my my brain doesn't work anymore (laughs) after Fortnite Belial. So, uh... (laughs) I need some jolt call. I need, God, I need some jolt call. But yeah, he looks exactly like Bronson Pinchot in True Romance. And the thing is, this movie precedes True Romance. So I don't know if Ridley Scott saw this movie and decided to jack it, jack the swag. But, oh, it's Tony Scott. Anyway, um, very, very odd. I Maybe on the blog, I will post a comparison shot between the two so that you all can just bask in what a direct ripoff it is. So there's this confrontation at the bar and the detective is sort of talking to Dwayne, trying to get him on side um, to turn against the freaks. And I don't know what has changed for Dwayne. I guess he is caught up in the fervor, sort of stoked by Dr. Freak. But suddenly Dwayne is like very pro-freak and is like, well, look around. And everybody else in the bar is in fact the you know, other uniquely challenged individuals um, wearing, like, masks. Well, they're wearing, like, normie masks. Yeah. And they all sort of come in and, like, going in for the kill to get him. And the detective runs away, um, but he is eventually killed by Belial, obviously, because Belial's a um, locked and loaded killing machine. Then, is this kind of where they have, like, the party? Oh, no. We we did miss one part. Um, this is where the journalist they disfigure the journalist before this party. So it's a disfiguring the journalist party. Um, so that's why they have the picnic is because they've they've uh, gone. They get the journalist's 
address from like the corpse of the other guy who's dead now and go there and she finds Dwayne sitting in her living room and then Dwayne's like kind of menacing and uh reveals that all the uniquely individualistic cool guys are hiding (laughs) and they attack her I don't want to see him now not tonight no that's no way for a reporter to behave he wants to grant you an interview a personal interview his very first he's all excited (gasps) (gasps) he's not in the basket anymore I let him out already he's probably hiding around here somewhere with his friends his friends? oh yeah friends like him Granny Ruth's house is full of them you really miss that you know I mean, you really had no idea who else was in there, did you? I swear I will not write a story. I swear I won't tell anybody anything. No one will know. You have my word. Well, it's really up to Bilal. I mean, he was really looking forward to an interview with you. He figured you could ask him a few questions, get to know him a little bit. Then he could rip your face off. No big deal. And um, they don't kill her. They just turn her into one of them by disfiguring just like in freaks just like in freaks and then that's when they have their cool party yes with lots of food uh and it's at this point where Dwayne's like well i think me and susan are ready to to bang i don't know why he comes to this conclusion they still haven't had any more time together since like the beginning um but i mean he's gonna shoot his shot and boy does he shoot (laughs) Um, so they're about to get down to business and this is all intercut with possibly the most disturbing scene ever put to film, which is Belial and Eve going at it. That's a horrible euphemism. It's, it's (laughs) really, I mean, it's a horrible scene. What do you want me to say? You could say something Um, poetic, like, but there's no poetry in it. I, that is not is what is happening. Are you saying that you don't believe this is a, a true expression of love between two consenting lumps? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, up until this point, Eve hasn't really been able to give consent. So. But can Belial read her mind like he can read Dwayne's mind? But they weren't conjoined. Well, I thought they could only read maybe minds because it, they can read each other's minds because they're like conjoined. It's like redheads. <laughs> There's a there's a tribal an instinctive you know you know like redheads. <laughs> but at this point, Susan discloses to Dwayne that she has a like peculiarity and that she had a liaison with a man. And Dwayne's like, oh no, it's all good, it's all good. And, and then she's like, well, no, actually, I've been pregnant for the last six years. And shows Dwayne that her abdomen opens up and like. A horrible freak comes out, and and she's like, we just can't get him out of there. He just wants to stay up there. Occasionally he has to come up for air. And Dwayne is suddenly very anti-freak. Well, I, I mean, he was about to take a really important step in his life, because as we all know, Dwayne was absolutely a virgin going into this. So he really had been building this up mentally, and even though she's been telling him the whole movie... I'm like one of them. He's like, oh, no, you're not. Like, because you're hot. You know, he's not prepared for what he's going to find. The Beetlejuice sandworm 
that lives in her <laughs> uterus. So he's he's really um, painted himself into a corner there psychologically. So it's very hard for him to come back from. And that is then why his feelings then are translated into his freak racism. Yeah, that's pretty much how it can only be described because he then um, proceeds to push her out a window. <laughs> Uh, essentially he's just like wow no thank you and like pushes her out the window and she lands directly onto the the feast the party feast uh in front of all the other freaks and is killed and and then yeah and this frenzied state Dwayne decides well I know how I can never be lonely again and uh decides that he's going to sew Belial back to him and he delivers a crazed monologue about how much like in the first movie, Belial takes everything from him. You know, he's putting the boobs on a pretty lady. Belial decides that can't happen. And now that all of a sudden, now that Belial is in love, Dwayne can't have love anymore. And that's not fair because Dwayne is relatively human looking. And so his needs come first. What was that? You're happy now. You're in love. No. No. You're only half a person. You can't be happy unless I'm happy. You can't be in love unless I'm in love. Everything that went before doesn't matter. This is the only way to make things right again. I mean, yeah, I think we could see this as an allegory for lots of injustices uh, in modern society. You know, I, I'd liken it really to the crusade the internet has taken um, against furries. Well, that's because you are one, mm-hmm. so... Famously, to listeners on this podcast, um, my anthropological fascination with furries has appeared to send some incriminating signals over the course of our friendship. I'm at the point where I'm just going to stop saying things. Furries, Dana's feet, anything I say is immediately misconstrued as being some sort of horrible perversion. And sometimes you just like to see a grown man clump around in a unicorn costume that his mom put together while dancing to some sort of Miley Cyrus Nightcore remix in a convention center in Dubuque, Iowa. I don't think it's pronounced Dubuque, but I'm going to keep saying it like that. <laughs> Dubuque? We talk a lot about quality of life, great amenities to go and recreate, great jobs, and we have that in Dubuque. Yeah, it is quite a, quite a stirring ending to the movie. And yeah, you'll just have to wait until our next anniversary to hear what happens. The, um... In the finale. Spoiler alert. <clears throat> Blyle has puppies. And... <laughs> <laughs> you know what's really interesting about this is in my cursory Googling, um, I found a Google Books result um, about low-budget filmmaking written by a guy who, at the time that Basket Case 2 was released, was the manager of a grindhouse theater. And he said that no one came to see it, which was... Just because we weren't alive yet. Yeah, really, honestly. Very aggravating to him that he said that he would duck down to watch it and, uh, like, in an empty crowd. <laughs> Just not up to the standards. I mean, but that, that kind of, like, is, um... It comes full circle, then, because Frank Cannonlauder did that to other films growing up. He was the only person in there. And also, um, obviously, the way in which people consume media has changed greatly between 1982 and 1990. By 1990, a lot of people owned VCRs. And um, a lot of films that previously would have opened in a grindhouse theater and played out in a grindhouse theater for quite a while um, went straight to v- straight to VHS. So, you know, it's like people are choosing between seeing this and, like, The English Patient or whatever. I have never seen The English Patient. I just don't care. This was a really bad time for epics, you know? 
any movie from the 90s that's more than like an hour and a half long is like should have cut some stuff that does not include titanic of course i was gonna say you're gonna have to eat your words there when we show down with amelia over titanic i i fucking love titanic I love every <laughs> stupid detail on Titanic. Maybe it's because James Cameron and, like, Frank Henenlotter are, like, diametrically opposed in terms of values as filmmakers. Frank Henenlotter could not give less of a rat's ass about whether or not the, I don't know, things are inconsistent from shot to shot or whatever. And then meanwhile, James Cameron is making sure that, like, the China patterns are, like, proper when reflected by mirrors because he's just an insane man mm, is that like why he was beating people about the head while they were filming the abyss i think james Cameron. i don't think it's a controversial statement to say that james cameron is absolutely batshit crazy <laughs> no i mean the fact that he's insisting on making all of these avatar sequels when nobody on earth cares yeah i he's he's got a vision and he's committed to it and like good for him but that doesn't mean that his vision is good no. Compelling or... No, other people had visions um, that were not good. One of my favorite visions, and it's something I feel like we should do on the podcast, um, is really great movie. As um, John Waters once said of the movie uh, Boom with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, it's not a good movie, but it is a great movie. That's how I feel about Teenagers from Outer Space from the 50s. But the guy who directed it um, basically went completely insane and ended up like taking out like full-page ads and variety, proclaiming himself to be God. That's a vision I can jive with more than the Avatar sequels. Well, I mean, that is just the future of this podcast. Who's going to take out the ad and variety, and then who's going to become Howard Hughes with tissue boxes on their feet? I definitely see Tiff being the Howard Hughes. Bah! To hell with this! Get my razor! Draw a bath! Get these Kleenex boxes off my feet! Certainly, sir. And, uh, the jars of urine? Ooh, we'll hang on to those. You're, you're definitely probably the taking out the full-page ads in the newspaper, mm-hmm. proclaiming that you're God. Yeah, I would probably do that. You, what sad Hollywood ending would Amelia have? Are you going to be eaten by a dog? Probably. No, and my I, cat. Gullible will eat me. See, and I know there's controversy as to whether or not Marie Provost was, like, actually eaten by her dog. And, like, granted, she wasn't, like, really, like, eaten, but she definitely was gnawed on. I mean, there was no one feeding the dog. What's the dog gonna do? And people are like, oh, like, the dog was trying to wake her up. It's like, yeah, the dog was trying to wake her up at first, and then the dog realized that the front door was locked, and then he ate her. Lesson to anyone, leave out additional food for the dog if you don't want to get eaten. I'm pretty comfortable in the knowledge that my dog would eat me if it had to. You know, look at, um, and also because you're climbing. I think that Penny would eat you even if she didn't have to. Well, yeah, it's, I, you know, I cut my finger once and I had a band-aid on and there had been a lot of blood and she was sniffing. <laughs> and it's okay, you know. Penny would eat I you if you up. were like in a deep sleep. You know? Yeah. And she thought. Yeah, I think she would. You were dead. That's, I don't mind. It's okay. I understand. <laughs> you well, accepted your fate. <laughs> You know, it's like it's like Baby Doe Tabor, infamous Wild West figure. It's like they found her in her like cabin outside, I think Denver, Colorado, like frozen to the floor in her like weird shack, eaten by cats. Like, so not only was she eaten by cats, what remained of her corpse slash her ronk bones were frozen to the floor. That could happen where you are. Yeah, sure could. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if if people fund Basket Case Four, that doesn't have to happen. If you don't want Todd to be eaten by animals in a frozen basement somewhere on the plains, then you have to donate to our Kickstarter. It's not even going to be Kickstarter. It's going to be a GoFundMe. And it's going to have like one of those things at the top that's like, excuse us, we are dying. You need to send us money. (laughs) 
to make the Belial babies do Fortnite dances. I don't know, there's not really a lot else to say about this movie. So, Candace, how do you feel after a year of being a podcaster? <laughs> um, I feel like within the past year, um, I should have made enough advances in my career that the $7 vanishing out of my bank account every month to pay our hosting fees isn't like a ooh. Um, but that didn't happen. So, I don't know. I feel like it's fun. I enjoy it. I get a lot of fulfillment out of it. I do sometimes think about like different ways like things we could do. I think it'd be really cool to have like a really like a, maybe a consistent blog going. Um, I think branching out maybe to YouTube at some point might be fun. Not that anyone would ever watch any of the content. And also, uh, you two have made it very clear that no one will ever see your faces. So it could just be me and a Belial puppet. I don't know. I don't know. It depends on how much people are willing to pay. We've got a tier on our fucking Patreon that's like, someone's willing to pay, I don't know, 200 bucks a month? <laughs> 300 bucks a month? Maybe. Then they can see your face. And we yeah. should also clarify that when we make jokes about Patreon and sponsors, we don't actually expect anyone to send us money. We just think it, it's funny. No. Um, because it is. The idea of us having sponsors is inherently funny, because can you imagine, like, us talking about, like, Blyle's, like, anal gap, and then being, like, (laughs) for 10% off your favorite Casper sleep experience. Well, I would like Todd to subtitle this episode as, you know, uh, one year anniversary of the podcast sponsored by John Collar. Todd, how do you feel after a year of being a professional little asterisk, not really, uh, podcaster? Well, Steve is probably the most, like, professional yeah. she does of all, all the editing she she does all the editing and all the social media and like manages like she posts the thing she's really the whole and soul of the show <laughs> the whole and soul of the show is that what you just said <laughs> i'm sorry yep sorry <laughs> the phrase whole and soul just really just really threw me off i stand by it Belial, talk um, about Belial's anal gap yeah i know uh, yes, go on, Todd. No, I was just saying I'm I'm also the most likely to ruin our recording plans and go three or four weeks without an episode, but we're going to try not to do that as much in the coming year. And I don't know, I, I, I enjoy this. <laughs> I, I like watching movies and uh, researching them and talking to you guys and everything. So yeah. Um, Amelia, <laughs> how do you feel after a year of being a professional podcaster? Uh, time isn't real. Um, I mean, it's... Uh, uh, I don't know what I expected. It's fine. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's a good experience. I would like if more people shared in this experience with us, uh, purely to bring down the sort of gang of podcasters who have only gotten their platform due to nepotism. I would like to eventually see us overthrowing them and really making the landscape for film podcasts a lot more accessible. Because I think that we're funnier than so... Well, for a show that uploads, like, once or twice a month, and we still don't have a website, and our blog is a free WordPress URL, <laughs> I think we're I think we're doing okay. Perhaps by next anniversary, we'll we'll have a, a singular piece of merch. What would that What would that be? Can we just real quick? What would that first piece of merch be? Wrong skeleton keychain. <gasps> I was gonna say uh, a chili bin. Oh, the cooler with wrong skeleton in it. Okay, a cooler, yeah, okay. that is cool. With wrong space on it. Yeah, open to start the party under his face. 
written on it. You know, I was thinking. I think that I was thinking nice. about something though. If we were a weekend at Bernie's Rock, he's so probably very light that it opens up a lot of possibilities that they didn't really have at weekend at Bernie's. Like we could skydive with him, just one. <laughs> you know, um, we could take him on a paddle boat at a theme park. But what if he fell in the water and then we had to like scuba for individual bones? Well, we we would articulate I, I'm him. I'm saying that we'd have to fuse him. Yeah, like like they do with um medical skeletons yeah. and i guess like in my that, brain but... somehow the connections like dissolved when he went in the water <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're gonna string up rock like he's hanging in a junior high classroom he'll be solid well it's like he's hanging in a junior high classroom we will give him a cigar and a little fez i was gonna say perhaps he'd have a little bit more give like he he would have sort of like barbie limbs where we could pose him for photos i'm seeing Many different kind of costumes that he would and be dressed in. Adidas tracksuit, purple. Yeah, yeah, um, purple Adidas tracksuit. Yeah, absolutely. And to get him in places, we'd obviously put a Reagan mask on him <laughs> um, because I know that he'd love Do that. Do you think Ronk voted for Reagan? Yeah. I don't know if Ronk voted. That's true. To be honest, I don't know if Ronk was like legally allowed to vote because when you're that short, I don't know if you're a U.S. <laughs> <laughs> must be above this height to vote. I was going to say I could see him voting for Reagan thinking maybe he could get, like, a cabinet position. Oh. But that might have been too much work for Ron. Head of the USO. He might have, like... <laughs> like the Bob Hope. <laughs> he might have talked a big game about oh. how he was gonna and then just, like, not shown up on voting day. Ron absolutely strikes me as someone see? who would not vote. Yeah, he would, he would, like, have, like, the bumper sticker and then yeah. not vote. I think that um, if we were in the timeline where Ron voted... Maybe Corona wouldn't have happened. <laughs> if Rock were still alive, Corona absolutely would not have happened. He would have stopped it. He would have said thank you, goodbye to that pangolin <laughs> that that guy ate. <laughs> thank you, next. But it's thank you, goodbye. <gasps> we completely thank you, next by Ariana Grande. We could have done a thank you, next remix as a thank you, goodbye. But I didn't think of it until right now. <laughs> Fucking three years too late or whatever. Anyway, yeah. Oh, also, by the way, Bronk is Mickey Rooney. I feel like sometimes we have we've, to say it. We've clarified that, but I guess if you're coming in cold, I mean, why would you come into an anniversary app cold? But um, yeah, it's Mickey Rooney. Um, I, I say at this point, he's the mascot of the show, but like posthumously, um, definitely dead Ronk more than a live Ronk. Yeah, Live Ronk had some baggage that has since like gone off to like Heaven's Gate that does no longer <laughs> associate with the Ronk bones. They are pure. They're two separate entities. Ronk is probably in hell, to be honest with you. But the bones, yes, are, the bones are at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and we're gonna get them. And we're gonna get them. We are. Well, I mean, the plan was that we would have met up and done like a bumper anniversary. It would have been belated, but it would have been a bumper anniversary episode where we would have all been in the same place at the same time recording. But um, obviously, that cannot and will not eventuate for a long time. But in the meantime, I guess we'll focus on getting better. Um, <laughs> So hopefully by the time you can look forward to we do that episode again, maybe Quip will pay for your plane ticket. Maybe we'll have some away suitcases because their CEO is a bully, and they'll see that sometimes you bully Todd, and they'll be like kindred spirits, and we'll have away suitcases. Well, I mean, yeah, you can look forward to the future. We've got an incredibly exciting slate of movies coming up that hopefully we can get out to you soon. Uh, I hope you like to be spooked because that's what's happening. And if you find um, alcoholism scary, look forward to November. That's also very scary. It's very spooky. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, you should find alcoholism scary because it's a large part of why people just can't fucking stay at home in lockdown, apparently. Lockdown would not have worked very well for a lot of the people in Noirs, but... But, I mean, they still would have gotten through it because they got through the fucking Second World War, Yeah, but during so... the Second World War, you could still go out and booze. Yeah, but you couldn't have any fucking sugar, so... I don't think any of these people were cutting their booze with anything. I don't think there was anything sugar, any sugar involved. Uh, Dana and that Black Pony bourbon and Laura, I... No, ma'am. Last thing, Todd. Yeah? How many jolt collars out of ten would you give this movie? Oh, God, like, 25. It's a garbage movie. It's terrible, but I love... It's a garbage movie. I fucking love Basket Case. I love all the Basket Cases. I love Belial. I love Baby Belials. That's why I thought it was cool to name a podcast after it. I said podcast. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Because we're part. Pardon my podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, t- uh, twenty-five out of ten jolt colas, I would say. Um, Candace, how many foil-wrapped cheeseburgers out of five would you give this movie? Oh, um, four and a half, and that's because <laughs> Belial ate the other half, and I can't find it anymore. <laughs> it's an achievement. I do wish the cinematography were a little better. However, this is the era of shit cinematography. This is the era of films like The Pelican Brief where everything is shot like a porno graphic film. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't have my mouth right there. Uh, No, uh, that's shit. um, But it's shit. It's our shit. And that's that's what makes it so compelling and so beautiful. It's special. It's special special to us. Amelia, how many um, unreturned calls from Kevin Van Henschenrich to the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences uh, Governing Board, which you give this film out of ten? Probably eight and a half out of ten. I just think there are a couple of missed opportunities, but I do appreciate the fact that Hannah Lotta was so against making it until it was um, financially beneficial for him to do so. So, I mean, I can vibe with that, but I definitely think the third one is probably... Uh, more deserving of a higher score, so I'll reserve that for then. And that's a threat. Um, I would just like to end by noting, pointing out the first note on my list of notes here, which I did overlook somehow, which says, uh, a small grotesque monstrosity is what Candace calls me. Well, I guess thank you everybody for listening um, up until this point. Uh, yeah, look forward to our slate for the season of horror and for November leading into, I guess, the holidays. Stay safe, wear a mask. Uh, if you're living in the same place as me, remember that curfew is at 8 o'clock until 5 a.m. Uh, I will be for at least the next three weeks. So. Times are fucking crazy. Did I tell you guys I'm not allowed to leave my house at all? Normal. (laughs) Things are normal and fine. I'm doing great. Uh, Please rate and review us uh, wherever you listen to this podcast. Uh, Get in touch with us on our social medias at BasketPod on Twitter and Instagram. We really like to hear from you. Uh, If you have any questions or want to make any requests, um, feel free to do so. We will act on those however we deem fit. If you are the child of Tony Randall, please email us directly at, is it basketpod at gmail.com? Basketcast at gmail.com. 
Okay. Well, definitely hit us up there. Uh, let us know about your dad. Bye. Bye. I'll just scare the shit out of me. What are you doing? Maybe Gull has a parasitic twin. That's why he's so fat. (laughs) He's eating for two. That is an update on Gull's weight loss. He's gained weight. (laughs) I fucking... I don't don't know, like, how we've been feeding him. Like, I've been measuring out his food. He hasn't been getting any extra treats. We've been exercising him more. And somehow he's put on 100 grams. So I genuinely don't know what to do with this cat. Fat bitch in chief. Um, he's the fat bitch in chief. <laughs>